Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Biology Report, a cracking episode coming up to of uh, Australia's all-time great players and characters. First up, a man who needs no introduction and I won't, Merv. Damien, Merv. how are you? Merv Hughes, you're up, but Saturday night you would have been down, your beloved Western Bulldogs, they, they had it halfway through the third quarter and the Melbourne Demon just ran all over the map. Talk us through your emotion. Is this a biology report or a football report, my friend? It's a football report. Okay. Yeah, you got to say, 10 minutes into the third quarter, just after we kicked the second goal, I'm just thinking, how far? How far? And then seven minutes later, I was thinking, geez, how far? <laughs> how far? I just thought we, we, we had them up against the wall there, uh, and then they just um, smashed us in the centre, got the ball out, uh, kicked straight. I think they kicked 17-3 or 17-4. Um, in what thirty minutes of football, mate? Yeah, how combat that time? Yes, it was disappointing. Um, but congratulations to Melbourne. Uh, good on them. And um, seriously, Flem, I've always said it: if your kid's a Melbourne supporter, that's just bad parenting. <laughs> what about the Saints supporters? They're the one left now. Oh yeah, five years. Mate, all, all of all of Melbourne, I think, were hoping to, to win because they didn't want that record break or the, the record drought between flags. So, what is it, five days since they've won, um, six days since they've won. But uh, St Kilda supporters now. Um, yeah. Next time the Saints get to the grand final, everyone will be following them except, obviously, the supporters of the team they play. But, no, good on Melbourne. Um, Maxie Gorn, they've done a fantastic job. And just to hear some of the stories, um, yeah, listen, if you weren't a Footscray supporter, they'd really touch your heart. Uh, none of it touched my heart. <laughs> All right, our special guest, Dutch oh, Worth. You played with him, very played special. 24 tests, 47 one days. He won a World Cup, Ashes Series, a Shield. He's actually won a Shield for South Australia. So he's um, not too many living Shield winning uh, players from South Australia. His ongoing legacy, though, Swerve, um, is the setup and the running of the, the ACA, the Australian yes. Cricketers Association. Um, but I'd like to lead in to this man with quotes from his book, The Hilarious Mayhem. And these are quotes from his teammate Swerve. This man is not to be trusted. Don't believe a word he writes. That's for Morning. Steve War says he's always been unstable. And Mark, <laughs> Mark Taylor's gone, I laugh all the way to my lawyers. TBA May. Thanks for joining us on the Biology Report. Blumo, good to hear you. Good to see you too. Nice jacket. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. Well, we used to wear this one, didn't we? Why, why, why did we wear this one? And we used to have to wear it in the subcontinent where it's really hot. Oh, stinking hot. Uh, I think it was the Ian Healy. Wasn't it? Ian Healy and oh. Steve Waugh, wasn't it? 
Oh, oh really? Yeah. So we can blame them. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking. God, they're horrendous. Hey, Macy, how do you respond to those quotes from your, your teammates there for your book? Not just with a nod of approval. I think they're all pretty accurate. <laughs> um, and God, no, all of those three, Warren, War, who was the other one? Tubby. Tubby. Uh, just dickheads. So, <laughs> <laughs> never had a great deal of time for any of them. Uh, and Maisie, um, where did we find you? Uh, you find me in Austin, Texas, where wow, I've been living in about 16 years now. Austin, and Texas. You follow, you follow the horns? Yep. Uh, the horns are big. Uh-huh. Um, they've been pretty crappy the last few years, but um, I think the first year I got here, they won the national championship and then they've been crap since, but they look and- okay this year. And I hear you're playing a bit of golf too. Yeah, well, I retired about, I don't know, eight years ago and then I decided I probably needed something to do rather than sit on my uh, arse all day. So, um, yeah, I was sort of the Austin Country Club, which is just, if you don't know, Merv, and I'm sure you do know, that it hosts the, um, what's it called, the Dell World Match Play every year where the best 72 players wow. come. So that's about 500 yards from my house. I'm a member at the club, and I'll play there about five days a week, six days a week if I can. Love it. And you're no longer a drinker, and you've got your handicap down to what virtually are. Um, so is there a correlation? The non-drinking improved your golf? Oh, I think Definitely. But I don't know how it all works or whatever, but I don't know. 18 months ago, 20 months ago, I don't know what it was. I just said, ah, I probably had my fill. Yeah. And, now, can um, I just step in? Sorry oh, to pick oh, up oh. you off, Maisie. And, and now, we don't want to encourage it. So we don't <laughs> want people to go off the grog and play golf because if you play well, you're trapped in a corner like Maisie is. I can't drink because my golf's going well. I never want to find that out, Glenn. Never. <laughs> Would you give yourself a chance where? No. 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 What's your strength on the golf course, Maisie? Is it your, your long driving, your putting, or your chipping to perfection? Um, well, I actually hit the ball quite long these days. I don't know why. I think it's all in the technology of the club, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, from, I don't know, 190 in. I'll back myself. 190 in? That's 190 yeah. yards, not 190 metres like we play here, Glenn. So how many metres is that, Swerve? Uh, 175? 176.3. Well, hold on. Hold on. 190 yards, don't you divide it by 1.1, so it's probably about 170. Would that be right? 166.5. I went 175. Someone um, out there answer, but not me. Yeah, I don't like where this podcast is going. Okay. <laughs> you anyway, two, so now, research. oh yeah, what are you down to? Well, I got down to point eight, and um, wow. then um, that was when I was actually trying to get down. And now I've just sort of taken my foot off the pedal a little bit, and I'm sitting at about two point three at the moment. So, well, I got to say, Maisie, the last time I got down to point eight was the night I was designated driver. <laughs> Very quick, Merv. Um, yeah, what are you playing off, Swerve? Oh, a very honest 24.3, Glenn. 
What happened Clem? last time? I'm off six at the moment. I'm off six. Whoa. Trying to get Gee. down. But I don't know if you remember playing with Merv hit these high, high fades yes. with his driver. But last time we played, Merv, he started hitting these these draws. Yeah. I don't know and, where and to what, go. That's, that's probably the difference between me and you two. I stand on the first tee box. I stand over my ball. And the thought going through my head is, I wonder where this is going to end up. <laughs> well, I just don't know. I used to slice, and now they, they can end up anywhere, Flynn. And what was your equipment that day? In what way? The Wilson Fast Club and the books. The huh? clubs and the books. The club and the ball. Um, was it a hot dot? Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want to waste money on good balls. Like, you get a hot dot for $1.50. <laughs> He's got a 20-year-old hot dog ball. Oh, man. <laughs> they, they still make them? No. <laughs> I, I, I did move up to top flight, though. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, hey, talking God. about top flight, though, you guys played a lot of cricket together. Um, I, I wanted to ask about grooming together, oh. uh, particularly in that, I think it was the 93 Ashes or 89, and, and, and Merv, you, you had something... Up your sleeve with Maisie. Eighty-nine ashes. I get the room with Tim Mark. Now I'm playing. He's not playing. He back in the days when he drank a bit, and he he did snore. Well, I'm going to tell you, he did snore, and he was unbearable. But you had this stroke of genius, Maisie. You had your anti-snoring device. Can you tell the guys what it is, please? Or was well, a couple of anti-snoring devices. One was a miserable failure. And I don't know if you were my roommate then or it was Tugger, but like there used to be this little plastic thing that you'd stick in your nose. You sort of look like <laughs> a cow. That must it, have been Tugger. I never like, saw that. And, and it actually worked, but the problem was if you moved you're just a facial muscle, the thing would ping, just ping over the other <laughs> side of the room. And I didn't want to wake Tugger up, and I'd be trying to find this bloody thing. And in the dark, and I never used to, you know, I should have had about 16, you know, next to my, my bed, but uh, I, that, that was a miserable failure. And then there was, for some reason, every time I wore a yellow Puma shirt, and this particular yem, yellow Puma shirt, I never snored. No matter how much I, or in those days, I you know, had a couple of gaspers as well, which I think was the real problem with the, the snoring. <laughs> but no, stick the yellow thing on. Good as gold. Oh, it worked, the ripper. It? He'd wake yeah. up, you'd be snoring. Maisie, where's your shirt? Oh, sorry, move. It's in the laundry. Oh, it's going to be a long night. Uh, one day it, it got lost in Pakistan when I was rooming with Tugger, and uh, I, I ended up having to sleep in the bathtub. He wouldn't let me. <laughs> wouldn't let me so I was sleeping in a bathtub for a few nights there. Now, fitness too. I mean, Fitness was all your can – you, can you remember a fitness test in Adelaide? You're, you're having a little bit of trouble with your flexibility. And we had a, a sit and reach test. So we used to do the beat test. We used to do sit-ups. We used to do – like it's all strength and conditioning stuff. But remember the old sit and reach where you had to sit on your backside, feet up, and push your hands to see if you can push them past your toes? And you had one extraordinarily good result. <laughs> Only the one in your career. Can you remember that at all? Well, I remember it was an assisted 
um, reach, I think, Merv, by you, and um, you might as well take up the rest of the story. You've got a better recollection than me. But oh, but it was significant. So did, did, it, did a sit and reach, and everyone's doing their stuff. And Errol Orcott, who is everything, he is our dietitian, our fitness, our physio, our strength and conditioning. Yeah. And he's Life a pretty coach. hard man. And he's into Maisie about flexibility. You've got to get this sit and reach going. You've got to do more stretching to loosen your back up and loosen your hamstring. You've been no good for years, Maisie. We need a turnaround. Maisie, I've been working on it. I've been working on it. I'm confident. So Maisie normally sits down and is <laughs> minus 10 centimetres. Okay? Errol's that focused on the finish line where the, the fingers slide past the, the zero point. We had Ian Healy, Steve Waugh <laughs> and myself, and I had my oh. knee in Maisie's back and the hand at the top of him just pushing him forward, and he's Minus eight, minus six, minus four, minus zero, plus two, <laughs> plus six, plus eight. Who does, that's extraordinary, Maisie. That's fantastic that you've been working on your flexibility. This is going to help you no end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I walked around um, looking like a question mark for about... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. But you know, I got by with a little help from my friends. Oh, that's all you need to do. Yeah. Uh, mate, uh, what about we all groomed together a fair bit? Obviously, Swerve uh, for the Vicks from the first game, wasn't it, at 18? The next yep. half a dozen years we roomed together. Maisie, we, we roomed a lot in Pakistan 94. And I remember uh, a couple of things. I reckon we watched Top Secret by the makers <laughs> of Flying High. We must have watched that 30 times, I reckon. And then also, yeah, so Top Secret, the movie. And then also we, we were doing... Street talk, weren't we, in Sri Lanka before the Pakistan tour and interviewing about footy and cricket and having a bit of fun and, and doing it, obviously, on your video. And then we, we tried to do it in Pakistan. It only lasted once. Do, do you remember why? Well, yeah, I do. I'm, it was, uh, it was a, around about lunchtime after an early morning practice and then we decided to walk down, I think it was the main street or the main street of uh, a place called Fazalabad, which was a pretty ordinary sort of joint in those days, uh, very agricultural, but they had this main street with all these shops and all that sort of stuff. And we went into some high five or high fi shop. I think it was called High Five High Fi. <laughs> Can you repeat that very quickly, please? No, I can't. Okay. I don't. Have... I'm going to try it, actually. <laughs> Let me. Just shut up and let me concentrate here. Hot, hot, oh, shit. High five, high five. <laughs> anyway. High five, high five, high five. High five, high five. Yeah. Um, and we went in there and the little fellas in there, oh, oh, please come in. Oh, Mr. Fleming, Mr. Mate. And so we rolled in and then all these fireworks started going off. We thought, oh, love those celebrating something. And this. Then we sort of realised they really weren't celebrating something when all the roller door frontage of all the shops started shutting. And uh, the guy just ushered us in the back and said, get behind that big speaker, you get behind that big speaker. And the, the fireworks were actually um, a truckload of gunshots going off down the main street. I think it was uh, Flemo was all right the next day. We Ooh. read about got assassinated. Yeah. A couple of people got assassinated or something. So we got it all, we got it all on... Um, we got it all on video. video. Who's got and that you video? Actually, you can actually hear the you can hear the shots in the background, Murph. 
you know, like with fireworks, are actually gunfire. So our um, our interviews asking the loads about whether Hawthorne would win the the grand final and who'd win the Norm Smith quickly got shut down, and we didn't do it again. Oh. How scary yeah, was that for you, mate? A hundred meters away. I don't know if we were scared. We just thought of, I don't know, like nothing will happen to us. We'll be okay or whatever. But I suppose when we read the next day that you know a couple of people have been assassinated, we just thought, ah, okay, well, now we got what, what about talking about assassination? What about the attempted assassination, the Lord's Oval in 1989, Maisie, and Tom Moody firing a shot from long range? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that well. It was a, it was a, a night, beautiful day. Sun was out. Um, and, and we're practicing on that nursery ground, and uh, the nursery ground was bloody hard, like the surface of it. Nice, beautiful, you know, spread of grass and all that sort of stuff. And um, Bob Simpson had me on this horrendous catching routine about oh. fifty yards away from the nets. And then all I can remember was someone yelling out, watch out, look out. <laughs> I, I turned around to see, oh, some poor bugger's going to get hit here. And the next thing I know, you know, I'd been knocked backwards. It smashed me in the teeth. Um, I had my lip just cut from the inside all down the outside. And uh, I don't know how many stitches I had, but I was walking around for the next, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks looking like one of those uh, African tribesmen who think it looks really, really good when they put plates in their top lip. Uh, It it wasn't a pretty look. Not a pretty look. Oh. You had a history of this, Maisie. You were unlucky, weren't you? Well, I remember Tugger used to have a bit of a list of how many times you got hit. No, I just remember whenever anyone slogged one out of the net, someone would yell, Maisie, yeah. even after you'd retired. You'd retired and yeah. we were still saying that. Yeah. Can you run through some of your, your injuries? Ladies and gentlemen, Tim May's best hits. Well, well, I think they started when I, when I was really young. Like, uh, Let's not talk about cricket yet. Because they multiplied, right? but um, I think that I was about two years of age, and I got mumps really bad and nearly died. And then nothing really happened until I was about eight or nine. Now I, I wasn't—I I, I honestly didn't realise at the time, but those years between two and eight were were my golden years, like three. <laughs> and then. Um, I suffered five broken arms as a kid. One was falling out of a tree when I was climbing a ladder and my sister thought it would be a great idea to pull the ladder out from underneath me uh, and plummeted to the ground and landed on a big root. Um, Another one, I was playing basketball and I was dribbling up just for a layup. Like Everyone else was at the other end of the court and I'm just hanging around, you know, centre court, just dribbling up. And I tripped over my shoelaces and banged into the bloody pole that holds the basketball goal up. That was another one. I won the Grade 4 Tennis Championship at Burnside Demonstration School against a guy called Derek Jolly Miller. And in true style, you know, when you win a game, you jump the net. Oh, no. I didn't quite clear it. And it was a bitch force, and I just flopped down to the other side of the court and broke my arm. And I didn't tell anyone for two weeks. I cried in my bed for two <laughs> weeks um, before I said, Mum, I think we should get an x-ray. 
And there's another couple there that, um, oh, shit, I can't oh. remember how I did them, but I, I did five of them. And then <laughs> I started, and, and I'm going to sit here today and I'm on my 14th knee operation um, on my right knee. Um, I, I think I had one, an embarrassing, just before <laughs> one of my operations when I was in Pakistan. And we're playing, I think it was, or well, it could have been India. No, it was Pakistan. We're playing in something called the Nehru Cup. And India. MRF uh, Cup, I reckon it was. Oh, yeah, Nehru. Yes. <laughs> the Nehru Cup. And um, I'm on the boundary and we're, oh, gosh, oh, I can't even remember who we're playing. I'm a third man, surprisingly. <laughs> and it was the end of the over and the over's, I remember the over, the over's just about to start. The next over's just about to start, and I'm still down at third man, which now becomes, you know, long on. But but I'm supposed to be at mid on, but I just couldn't move. My knee just, <laughs> everyone's looking at me and going, "Fucking Maisie, what the hell are you doing?" And I'm just going, oh, oh, "I can't move. I can't move." And the crowd, oh. and then brought. They brought the, they, embarrassingly, they brought a stretch around, which it needed like 20 blokes, 20 little, everyone wants to get into the act. So there's 20 guys <laughs> uh, and everyone throwing bananas at me as they carried me around. <laughs> the, um, yeah, anyway, and then I went and got x-rayed and I just had all these bone fragments and caught my knee. Uh, uh, you had to return home. Can you remember the speech of the manager at the time about your decision how you decided to make this tough decision to, to go home? I, I do, but Jess, uh, uh, you know, I might tear up at the recollection of that, Merv. <laughs> now, now at, a, at another point, Maisie, I can remember Victoria playing South Australia. So can I. I um, my length to most batsmen was short, so I couldn't, short. so I needed to change things up to you. Uh, yeah. Bowled one short at you, hit in the hand. Now, yes, what do you think your physiotherapist at the time at South Australia when he came out to treat you? Well, he was a bit dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, it hit me and, well, you know, you're supposed to be brave and all that sort of stuff, and I did my best to be brave. And then Merv, meanwhile, has walked up to the top of his mark, and then as he's coming in the bowl, I just realised I, I actually couldn't close my hand. I couldn't hold the bat, you know, literally couldn't hold it. So I put the other hand up to Merv, like, stop. I think I'm in a bit of trouble here. And I, want, I tried to get my glove off, but I couldn't even get my glove off. And so the physio's come out, and he's come out with a pair of scissors. He's cut my glove off, and on my left hand, there is the size of a, you know, it's, there's a cricket ball on top of my hand. My, the thing just instantly swelled. And the um, the Einstein of a physio said, so where did it hit you, Tim? Um, which, like, fuck me. I've got a cricket ball on the hand. <laughs> like, it's pretty bloody obvious, you idiot. Anyway, I was, I was operated on that night. Like, two, um, two iron rods stuck in my hand. So, yeah, thanks, Murph. Enjoyed I, that. I, I do apologise. Hey, do, like a- do you remember bowling to Merv Maisie? Because I do. Oh, I remember him hitting me for a few sixes, but I, I do believe I got him out once. Um, you, first you ball. Did get him out, 
Yes, first ball, Victoria were seven for 470. I was playing in this game, and Maisie, as you'd imagine, Merv was always pretty keen to get his tree trunk out there and keep hitting sixes, and he kept saying that to our captain, Simon O'Donnell, who you know didn't like to get that sort of uh, feedback and said, no, get out there, start, just just keep nudging the runs around. I'll give you the indication when you start slogging when you get out well, there. Can we put things in perspective? First of all, I am. We we had but we had the scorecard. Like we had South Australia on their knees, didn't we? Yeah. So we had Phillips that had made 121. We had Ranchall that made 18. I don't know how he failed. Dino made 214. We had blokes. <laughs> O'Donnell made 23 and 27 balls. Uh, Jeff Allardyce made 37 and 50 balls. Where, where would Jopper have scored? Where would Jeff? Joffa Allardyce scored most of those runs. Well, he would have been looking to hit through cover and they would have gone through mid-wicket square leg. And then when he tried <laughs> to flick them to their leg side, they normally went through cover or backward point. So he's a very good player, Jeff. Now, yeah, he, run, he runs the ICC now. I, yeah, yeah I, got, I got the instruction <laughs> to go out from our skipper, to go out, have a look at a couple, and then get on with it. Now, Maisie, You've bowled to me a few times. We're playing at the MCG. A few people around the bat because I'm there early. The ball's spinning. And I reckon it was Bishop was 95 metres away on the boundary at deep mid-wicket. And I thought to myself before that first ball, I've got to be stiff to hit it to him. Well, he did not have to move. (laughs) Went straight through. He's pouched it, walked off the deck, walked up to the rooms and probably unbeknown to you, but walked into the rooms and as Warney was walking out, so we crossed over, I got in the rooms and Simon O'Donnell's, oh. what, the, what the hell was that? What were you thinking? I've just looked at Scoob and said, what, mate, never got a good one early? <laughs> Bought a little bit of um, laughter from the rest of the team. Simon O'Donnell, not all that much impressed, I've got to tell you. But Maisie, and you know what it's like in the dressing room, like when the captain goes off after Merv getting out, you know, that or us young blokes are all trying not to laugh. You know, you're looking at each other like it's there. And then I just remember you, you kept your helmet up and all you did, your, your little eyes looked through the little thing and said, what, never got a good one early. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, Maisie, what about, um, yeah, we were pretty good mates, uh, or become pretty good mates in that Pakistan. Pakistan. To remember our first um, game against each other, Victoria, South Australia, and I, I was facing you. Did we stop the game? <laughs> um, the, the same sort of thing happened with Tugger as well when we used to play. But I oh. get to the top of the park and I just look up. You know, I try to concentrate <laughs> on the next ball. You know, what's his feet doing? All that, sort of, and I just look up. And all I can see is this dirty, great big nut, this stupid mullet, and this giggling mess. And all I kept on seeing was just visions of top secret and all the shit that we got up to in Pakistan. And I got the giggles. And, you know, we, both of us had to back away. Yes. Then we're back at square leg. He'd come back. Then he'd compose himself. And once he composed himself, then I would, my turn to compose himself. <laughs> Oh, and then I'd get the giggles again. So Clem would back off again. Then he'd walk back. He's composed. I'd get composed. 
and then I'd get totally composed and I'd get almost the delivery mark and then Flam, he's gone, he's broken down again and he's walked back to square and the umpires had to intervene. They had to tell us to grow up. I remember <laughs> Jamie Siddons, obviously, he oh, just said, what what, what the fuck is going on, you two, right? So Jamie's lost it, so the umpires get involved. And all I remember you saying is, the umpire goes to you, what's the problem, Tim? And you said, he's looking at me. <laughs> I said, I've got to look at him on the batsman. So we agreed, I'd look at your feet as you ran in. And then as you got to your, your, your gather and your jump, um, I'd look up. So <laughs> it was gold. I think I came in with my eyes closed for the last oh, okay. <laughs> But, yeah, you're talking about captains who give people a good rollicking and, and like, Siddons, great fella, Siddons, but, you know, he would tell it as it was. And, you know, he gave me a hell of a bloody bake that day. But he gave a better one just been totally honest, which is just Jamie Siddons, to Dennis Hickey, oh. who played with you guys and he played with us in South Australia. And Dennis got dropped for a few games and then he went he went back to club cricket and he took about, you know, a couple of threefers and all that sort of stuff. And he's still in the state squad. said, come to state practice. And I'm walking out into the nets with Dennis, you know, mid- midweek or whatever, and there's Jamie Siddons. And then Dennis just looked at Jamie Siddons and said, I said, I, mate, you know, what do I have to do to get in the team? Get back oh. in the team. Siddons just looked at him and said, stop bowling shit. <laughs> there was plenty of grey area with Jamie, wasn't there? There was never, there was never a, a direct <laughs> and, and just in there, boys, I understand um, Dennis Hickey's fallen on hard times. He only owns half of New York. Is that correct? Well, you know, he's got a big head and, you know, he's known as Melon. Well, they've changed the big apple to the huge melon. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think Dennis is doing pretty good uh, for himself. He doesn't mind telling you about it either, Big Dan. <laughs> I catch up uh, quite regularly with the uh, the big fella and, uh, yeah, yeah, he really uh, has to change. I'll, I'll tell you what, though, Maisie, when he was at his peak, he did bowl swift. Oof, he was quick. Oh. He was quick, but whoo, wasn't he wayward? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he never knew where they were going, old Dennis. Uh, yeah. we used to, I used to field at mid-on and uh, we'd, we'd be giggling at how far he could. He bowled the first ball in Perth past the outside reach of Gully one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, man, what are you doing? Now, and, 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 I just found with Reg too that, you know, for a guy whose actual method uh, was pretty simple, as in he just had to bowl as quick as he possibly could. There was no swing, no cutters, whatever. But when he talked about bowling, you know, he he had that many fear. Like he confused oh. confused me. Oh, well, I think, it, I think it, he confused himself. To be honest, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. He, just running a bowl quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's my front arm up far enough. Oh, mate, just, yeah. yeah. Five wickets for Tim May. That's lovely bowling from the off-spinner. Five wickets in a test match against the West Indies. Ian Bishop is the last man. You're back, Maisie. Uh, 92-93. They they pick you to play against the West Indies. Adelaide, you're the king of Adelaide. You take five for nine. How? Flynn, we've got to rewind. You know, match details. 
West oh, Indies yes. bowled out for 252 in the in the first innings, and one M Hughes got five for 60 off 21 overs and bowled superbly. Oh, you're West on the honour board too, eh? Are we all on the honour board? 146. 146 in the second innings, and Maisie gets five for nine off 6.5 overs, Maisie. Talk us through that. Where did they score them? I don't know what happened. Like, yeah. I, I must admit that day, I, I said to AB before I started bowling, I said, get me on. The ball feels so good in my fingers. Like, some days it doesn't really feel that good. Yeah. Some days it does. And the ball just... It felt like I could give it a rip. Anyway, I just bowled the ball and they just got out. Like, you know, when you when you take five wickets in that sort of short time frame, it, it's like, like seriously, it is not as satisfying as slogging your guts out all day and you know taking five for sixty or something like Merv did. So it was all it's all very nice, but yeah, it just it's just one of those days where everything just. You know, turned out well. So if you got five wickets quickly, like, well, why didn't you just get a hat trick as well? It's not that hard to take a test. It's not, it's not that hard. Like, you could join our club. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's where we're going. Did, you, um, did he score a test 50? <laughs> yeah, he, would, he was a good player. What was your highest score? No. 42 not out that game. Uh, that uh, game. He didn't, get, he didn't get a hat trick or a test 70. He's did he no top good. score in that, in that innings? I don't know. Oh, I can tell you, you didn't. Um, oh. Just Justin yeah. Lang got 54. And That's you right. You did it's that amazing. But rewind to the first innings of that. Can you remember who top scored in the first innings for Australia, Maisie? <laughs> was that your innings? Oh, that was oh. 43. Backs to the wall we were. Oh, here we go. You got a set. Um, you like the Adelaide Oval swerve. Don't worry about that. But can we go to the second? Oh, sorry, it's not, it's get, not about we, me, Len. I'm sorry. Back to Maisie. We, we're going to lose, Maisie. Can you remember? I know it's a long time ago, but you walk out. I think Alfie's still batting. Um, did you give yourself any chance, or did you just go, "Well, you know, I'm just going to make it tough for him to get me out and see what happens." No, nah, I, I, I'm not trying to be a dickhead or anything, but I actually didn't. Well, I thought we'd had a ch- we had a chance. I, only, I think I made about nine or not very many in the first innings and I was given out when I didn't hit it. I got caught behind and hit my shoulder. But it during that innings, that first innings, and then there must have been a shield game or something beforehand, I felt really good at batting. And so and then you bat on the last day pitch. Was it the last day pitch or the fourth day yeah. pitch or what? And the ball's not really whizzing through or whatever. One or two will just move off the deck a little bit, but you, you should be all right. It's a, it was a beautiful day, fine, fine day. It was my birthday. It was Australia <laughs> Day. You know, all the, all the moons were aligning, and I honestly just thought, okay, we're going to get here. And then Lang got out and uh, Billy got in. And, uh, he Can you remember was, how many we needed when Billy got in, nine down? I think it was like 30-odd or could have been 40 yeah, 42, I thought it was, yeah. Wow. And that's – I'd started to think, okay, it's not going to work out. But then Bill, he guts it out well, which, um, yeah, yeah look, look, I, I don't blame Bill. He was – I think a couple of innings he played, he may, may have been very scared against those dudes. But he guts it out really well, and then we got what, to within one or something, and then he got given out caught behind. 
Now, if there had been a DRS, what do you what do you reckon would have happened? Oh, oh, I don't know. Like, do, oh, you, do you honestly would, know? Well, I didn't because I'm at the non-strikers end, and when Bill, I think he sort of tried to let it go. Yeah. And so he turned around, and all I could see was his back, B-A-C-K, not B-A-T. So <laughs> I, could, I couldn't see. And obviously uh, Daryl Hare gave him out, and then West Indies, you know, ran off the field and, you know, uh, Craig and I were just sort of drud- you know, drudging ourselves off the ground. And I said, well, you know, mate, did you hit it? And he said, yeah, just got me on the glove. And then we went back into the rooms, and I think it was that the, the combination of that test was just prior to an election. There was a guy called John Cusin who was the Liberal candidate for the federal election, and someone led him into the rooms, and everyone's sort of sitting down there, not, there hadn't been a word spoken, and then Houston, I think, just said, oh, Craig, you know, they just don't understand the protocol um, politicians. <laughs> Aside, just lost by one run, <coughs> and said, Craig, you hit it. And he said, no, nah, didn't get near it. And <laughs> so everyone just thought, oh, well, we've been cheated. I'm just, I'm the only guy in the corner just thinking, well, I'm, mighty bloody confused here <laughs> like five minutes ago he said he hit it and now he didn't so i don't know i got no idea but, there, uh, there was it was interesting footage because there was talk that his glove might have been off the bat there was a flicked yeah. his helmet it did this it did that and yeah i, I we just heard that no nah, i didn't hit it so you just think well, well we're gonna run with that if someone tells a politician like who's gonna lie yeah. to a politician they don't lie to us <laughs> no. Especially over here in America. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys, what about the? Uh, well, you led into the '93. Eh? This is a really great period for, for both of you guys. Like you're, you're almost in career best form. A um, lot of wickets. Uh, what about the joining of being able to bowl in tandem with with Warney, Maisie? You, you guys were great mates, different type of personalities, but you really had a great series against the Poms in '93. Yeah, well, I suppose we were lucky. It was a really dry sort of summer and um, the wickets were, I think Merv took a truckload of wickets, which is a credit to him because uh, the wickets weren't that sort of suitable for, you know, your fast seamers or your fast bowlers or whatever. So, you know, I got I didn't play the first test. Um, I think I was 12th dude and then I came in for the Lord's test and, you know, the track was turning from day two and um, so, you know, and yeah, I was in good form, but you know the the conditions were conducive to um, you know they bounced and they turned and they turned quickly, which is not a typical English wicket. No. And then there was one test where I think the, the, the we played at uh, oh god, what's that ground called? Uh, in Birmingham, Edgbaston. Oh, Edgbaston. And it was going to be the. And all the poms and all the journalists and all the, you know, everyone is calling for a green seamer. Yeah, after it's going to be a green top. Yeah. <laughs> damage in the, the, the Lord's test and, and warning more, more so than me. And they just said, we've got to be, we've got to have a green top, got to have a green top. And it was this guy, Andy Atkinson, the curator, and it was his last test match that he's going to be preparing the wicket at Edsmith. And he just said, stuff you. I'm not going to do what you want uh, you Englishman, which he was an Englishman himself. And so on day one, the ball turned square and fast and bouncy. Um, and 
you know, I think morning and I just cleaned up again. It was just uh, ridiculous. So, you know, my, my record may look good, but, you know, I, the conditions were in my side. So, you know. Hey, 20, 22 like, wickets in five test matches. Outstanding. I do have a question off Twitter for you from Sports Buffet. Um, the Lord's test match around the wicket yes. to Graham Hick. Was it yes, the sir. arm ball that got the edge and went to yes. Mark Taylor at first slip or was it just the off spinner that didn't turn? No, that was the one out the front of the hand. It was an arm ball. Yeah. Are you sure? I've watched the replay a few times. Okay, it could be an arm ball. <laughs> no. Your normal ball, you try to spin, overspin, and yeah. then the, the, at the front, it's spinning around, but it's got no overspin on it. So it depends where it lands on a shiny side or the seam. If it hits the seam, it'll turn square, not bounce as much. If it doesn't, it's just going to shoot through. True story. Yeah. It was a sort of arm ball. Sort of arm ball. You bowled a, a bit around the wicket, though, Maisie, didn't you? Like um, there was turn, but then you, you had that delivery up your sleeve. I think you might have got Stewie out with one of those as well. Yeah, a lot of them, uh, sort of the, their relief shot was sort of like a, a, a hoik over sort of cow corner. and. Um, so they're playing across the line a little bit. And so if you're bowling over the wicket, there's less risk in a batter doing that. And if you're bowling around the wicket with a bit of drift away or whatever, there's more of a risk. And, you know, I was just lucky enough to get a couple like that. So, you know, it was, it was other, deliberate. The other so, one they used to combat him too, and, and I picked it up in that game, Flam, was um, they used to run down the wicket and let him go. <laughs> Who was that? It was Lewis, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first ball. Yeah, I'm out dumb. Oh, that's probably not the way to play spin bowling. Ah, uh, no, it was beautiful. Beautiful, it was, it was fantastically bowled, but yeah, that is gold. Hey, Mervyn, so, if it was a dry summer and there wasn't too much swing or seam, did you adjust your length? So, what sort of length did you bowl to guys like Atherton? Short. Uh, Stewart. <laughs> Short. Thorpe. Back of a. Back of a short length. Gooch. Short. Lewis. Short. Caddick. About halfway down. Yeah. Is that pretty much oh. it, Maisie? Yeah, that's him. I caught one off you too, Murph. Yeah, Gucci down at fine leg at Lord's. You're very lucky there because I actually wasn't looking in the general <laughs> direction. Can you can you remember the question you asked when you got to the team huddle? Yeah, who did we get out? No, no. Who caught it? Yeah, I got, I did get a little bit. So that's the first catch I think I've taken in the Oh mate. Right in front of the Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, and oh, my parents. Yeah. Proud moment. Got a bit carried away, but then never mind. These things happen. Oh. Hey, uh, Maisie, off the field again. Um, what about how much you love Ferris Bueller? What was the history behind that, and and how did you honour him each test match? It was reasonably immature, but I, I watched Ferris Bueller. I can't tell, like thirty times. Even found him in. Was that you with me when we found him in Pakistan? Oh, we I went, would have thought so. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I just loved Ferris, and I just thought, you know, if Ferris ever heard about me, he'd come to the game. So every game that I played, <laughs> I left two tickets for Ferris Bueller. 
at the gate. Um, was that was that the is it Kensington you played for in Adelaide? In Adelaide was that a thing yeah. with the Kensington boys or the university boys that every game you played at you left tickets under? I think it was Ferris Bueller, so people would know if they were at the ground they didn't have tickets. They just walk up to the ticket box and ask for two tickets for Ferris Bueller. Correct. The Kenzie boys, the Browns. Mm, so <laughs> normally they return all the tickets at the end of the day that haven't been picked up, and then my Ferris Bueller's would typically be, you know, done. So I never actually knew if he turned up. Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career, and they never doubted it for a second. What about a few questions about the nerds and Julios and, and, and your roles in your time? I mean, we're three nerds here. The biggest nerd for me was a nerd who thought he was a Julio. Yeah. So that encompassed your Mark War, your Shane Warne. Well, I reckon didn't, didn't want to be with us. They wanted to be with the Julios. Well, I reckon um, uh, Brendan Julian, like, oh. whilst he looked like a Julio, yeah, oh, yeah. he was yeah. a nerd to the root. Oh. Like, he, um, yeah, he. And he loves hanging around with those guys, but he was very much a nerd. Very what, much. Makes him, what makes him one of the ultimate nerds is that he, he plays golf now off about scratch. Does that remind you of anyone? No. Um, I, BJ, um, he's, not, he's not scratch. He's pretty wide. A bit like he's bowling. He hits <laughs> wides, but they go a long way, BJ. But... As proud nerds, we generally won the, the competitions, didn't we? Like if it's footy or rugby, soccer or tempting bowling, whatever. Um, but anyone that tried any Julio-ish things, well, we didn't want them, did we? I mean, I know when Glenn McGrath started, you know, putting cool. blonde into his hair, see you later. Oh, you're a Julio. Um, and what, ponting, what, ponting you can't, you can't, bring, you can't bring, bring disrespect to the nerd. If no, you do no. that, you're out. Goodbye. Did did either one of you two have a Julio bone in your body? Do you think? Probably, probably just my fashion sense plan <laughs> could have almost been borderline. Those Hawaiian shirts, Hawaiian shirts, check shirts, jeans, moccasins. Uh, the old... I, 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 I'd never, never <laughs> even thought. <laughs> Had a Julio bone in my whole body. No, nah. I, I was just a loser from the, the day I was born, basically. Mate, that's why you were president. I'm proud. You were the only president. The, the, the Nerd Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. First one in. Yeah, thank you. And a legend of the Nerd Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. I think I think Darren Lehman was inducted last year. Yeah. Well, there's a bit of going. Oof. He got a bit of a strut. Yeah. No. Yeah. But interesting. Uh, Every other part of him. Nerds. 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 What is a nerd? Uh, we've been talking about on-field stuff, and we've we've touched on the nerds, and uh, people may see that side of you and think that. You're a, you're a pretty shallow performer, but the thing that I want to bring to people's attention, people don't realise how um, or how much you do had to do with the the making of the the ACA, the association. 
Can you talk us a bit through that? Um, uh, if I have to. Well, um, you were sort of the, the like strop. Everyone used to write strop off in the Paul Hogan show as just a bloke didn't know anything. Went along for the ride. And he was instrumental behind World Series cricket, and a lot of people listen to this and think, oh, now he had a bit of a good time. Really didn't have too much substance about him, but. Your background um, as an, an accountant and then getting into um, the ACA and getting that up and running, was I mean, that was fantastic for what the players have got now. Just before yeah. you answer that, Maisie, do you, do you think you yeah. could have played Strop? Or I think you could have. Um, yeah. Without doubt. Possibly. Yeah. But Possibly. So, yeah, on the series, yeah, but how did it come about to be president of it and, and how quickly did it develop from there? Well, I think we went to the West Indies 95 and it was just after that the ACA was formed, but we sort of had a discussion when we you know, realised where we were within the Australian sporting landscape about you know, how little we were paid compared to footballers, rugby players, and then you even looked at our state cricketers. I think there was one state that had contracts and everyone else you know, would just get I don't know, twenty bucks a day to play. And it, so if you got if you got injured, you didn't get paid, did you? Yeah, correct. And so we looked at past associations. There have been a couple of attempts to set them up before, and they failed for two reasons. One, that we just didn't have the money to fight any sort of legal battles or get proper advice, etc and set up an association, we had a lack of financial resources, and we also, um, the, the previous attempts had also failed because a current player within the Australian side had always been the designated, let's say, administrator for the association, and those guys were always put into a position of, uh, like, mate, if you kick up a fuss here, you're not going to be in the Australian side again. So. You know, your representative would back down through self-interest, and fair enough too. Yeah. So we decided we a we had to find some funding, and b we had to get uh, an ex-player who was passionate about it to do it. And um, so that was in 1995. We decided that okay, we're going to do something about it. And then before the next cricket season started, I got a call from. Tubby, he must have been the captain, was he, over in West Indies? I think yeah. he was. Yep. And he, Tub said, look, Tim, you know, he's been with a couple of senior guys, blah, 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 blah. We thought about, you know, that uh, financial resources. We, we've got a couple of ideas there. Um, and we've thought about, you know, a past player heading up the association. And we'd like you to head up this association and drive it from here which was very flattering, except I was still a current player. I hadn't retired. So I quickly, the penny dropped pretty quickly. That <laughs> I was a player. So Mark um, Taylor, captain and selector, yeah, is asking I you. Wouldn't be as, playing for Australia again. As a former player too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a true story. That's how it all uh, came down. And then I retired after that phone call. And I think uh, we sort of got all the background stuff together and we 
got some financial backing from a guy, uh, James Erskine, and a guy called Basil Scafidi, who are uh, from a mob called Sports Entertainment Limited. And no one should ever forget, from a player's perspective, their input because without them, yeah. we wouldn't have had an association. Um, and then we took it from there. I think in February 2016, we got incorporated and uh, then we went to war. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, a, a player association is only as strong as the players and the players were just magnificent about banding together and there weren't any cracks. And if there were any cracks, they were quickly sort of, you know, healed over and, uh, you know, and now it is what it is today. Some, did, I don't know, how many, did, 20, 30, did, 25 so did Dan Marsh take it, take it on after you? No. Who was in Paul the Marsh. Team? No, uh, it was me then and Paul Marsh. Oh, Paul Marsh. Sorry, Dan Marsh. Sorry, Paul Marsh. But what you're saying about Erskine and, and that being like no one should forget that, I don't think any of the players should forget the, the workload, the effort and the passion that you put into it, Major. You you're fantastic to get that ACA up and running. Oh, Obviously, yeah. you had close ties with the players at the time. Um, like you said, uh, Tubby was asked about it. But those those first couple of years negotiating with Cricket Australia, that, that would have been tough going, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, it was, look, look, thanks, but, but, you know, it was my job. Um, shit, my cricket career was ruined. <laughs> so, what else to do? Um, that wasn't very successful, my cricket career, so I thought I might be trying to be a success at something but uh, at the end of the day like your job's so much easier for all the players stick together and everyone yeah. did and so nobody should ever f- uh, forget you know all the players sticking together when they were really under the pump from the media and the general public etc you know about you know yeah. well, I don't know if it was all poppy syndrome or whatever yeah. but uh, yeah look thanks anyway Merv but, yeah. no, uh, what, what you did was fantastic and then when Paul oh, yeah. my Marsh is mixed up when Paul Marsh uh, took it over the foundation had already been set, and he did a wonderful job too for, for a long time. Oh, yeah. He's a beauty, Paul. Yeah. Very, very, very smart bloke. Well, and the legacy continues. I mean, you were heavily involved with FICA. I mean, Paul Marsh is now the AFL Players Association CEO, yeah. doing a good job there. So, I mean, that, that that's great. And, yeah, but backing up what Merv said, you know, it was a, a great, a perfect storm for us to have a, a an intelligent, smart, uh, ex-player who was passionate to galvanise because that was the problem in the past. They couldn't be a united force. So that was awesome. But what about over there in America? What, what What's the cricket? Do you, do you keep tabs on cricket in America? And then also, do you have any thoughts of the of the concerns for cricket going forward? Um, okay, well, do I keep tabs on American cricket? Yeah, a little bit. It's highly political. There's sort of factions of uh, expat Indians and expat Pakistanis. There's quite a few people who play cricket over here. It's um, I think someone yeah. told me that in terms of TV rights, when we have a World Cup, that uh, beaming them into the United States is, I think, the third to highest grossing revenues for the ICC from United States. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, you know. They're now attempts to sort of get rid of all this warring between the various factions over here and um, the ICC are trying to streamline that. And there's actually quite a good future for cricket over here. Like um, the people like T20 cricket. It's, you know, the five-day stuff, nah, that will never yeah. never work up here. 
Um, the one-day stuff will never work over here. It's too long. Um, but the T20 stuff, like people I know that have watched it love it. Um, and there's quite a there's quite a big following of just general American people not being expat Indians, West Indians or Pakistanis or whatever. So it, there is a future here. It will never be a big sport, but a little bit, you know, it's got a niche market which would make it a big contributor to the ICC's revenues and uh, just to the game. So there is a bit of future there. Just for cricket in general, well, goodness, I don't know. Like it, it, it's hard to tell anything these days with um, you know just the mess this COVID's been. Um, that that's unsettled a lot. Um, but I you know I always said the players will gravitate to money, um, whether we like it or not. They will gravitate to money, and therefore I think cricket's going to be more and more about the shorter form of game. Um, there'll be uh, – everyone says, like, test cricket is you know, the, 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 is paramount. That's number one. And, it, it, yeah, it is until it's not. And it doesn't become mm. – it, it's affordable. And it is just not affordable to no. play test in a number of countries. Um, and, uh, you know, it may well be that test cricket in 10, 15 years' time is just played between – you know, a handful of countries. Um, but everything depends on the direction that India take because they're, they're the controllers of cricket. The, the big one I've got, I reckon, there's only two countries that actively promote test cricket. That's Australia and England. Um, so when you've only got two countries really pushing it, um, it it's sort of a bit on the back burner. Um, and, and with the, the poorer nations, so your Bangladesh, your Sri Lanka, um, even the West Indies and Probably the thing that's really cost them is, is their financial position. Is it is it time, do you think, for the ICC perhaps to, to bring in a, some sort of a salary cap where all the top players from all the top teams get around the same money? Because we know that the Indians, the English and the Australians seem to get paid a lot more than, than other countries. Is that feasible or is that a pipe dream? Um, it may be a pipe dream, There's... Different considerations from country to country, like a, to buy a house in, you know, Bangladesh may cost you $3 or something, where it's going to cost, you know, a million or something in Australia. So you're not dealing with like-to-like -like in terms of purchasing power. I certainly think that um, one thing that could aid test cricket is to make it more affordable and um, I think the revenue model that exists at ICC level um, is flawed. Uh, it, it's flawed in favour of the, 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 the you know, India, Australia, England, um, and there is a lot more assistance, I think, that the ICC, and I think if they believe, they truly believe that test cricket is the pinnacle, well, then show it by supporting it in the financial sense and then people will gravitate to the game of test cricket and it will become affordable for those countries. So... We'll see. Yeah, I, I think the, the cost effectiveness is the big thing because I've noticed in the last few years, you know, T, all the young kids want to play T20 cricket, but it's interesting in T20 leagues, you're only as good as your last season. You know, I look at someone like a James Faulkner, you know, man of the match in 2015 World Cup, he's getting millions in the IPL, a couple of bad seasons, and by the time he's 30, he's out of the system. And I see it even with the West Indies test team. We just thought, well, the West Indies are never going to be strong in test match cricket again. But there's actually a group of 
um, West Indian test cricketers who are going okay now because they're not suited to T20 cricket. You know, Jason yep. Holder does a bit of IPL, but uh, Shy Hopes is a gun bat, but he doesn't play T20 cricket. You know, Cottrell, Gabriel, the big quick. So the, the, the play for them is to play test cricket, 50-over cricket, because I know they're not making millions, but they're, they're getting um, looked after. So I've seen a bit of hedging in regards to the different forms of the game. Good for you. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I've been pondering, pondering this. Question without notice. It's um, not a pipe dream, last... is it? It's not a pipe yeah. dream, just pondering. No, no, just oh, pondering. No, um, okay. Just a serious one, and I, I know it's very hard to take me serious. I, I really can't take myself all that serious too, so I know this is one of the – over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it's been, we've had neutral umpires. What are your thoughts on neutral curators? <coughs> Nothing? Well, okay. a neutral cut, – Cut that out, Pleb. <laughs> just cut, cut it. That is staying in. That is staying no, but that, Our one, even it is in England, because they roll out wickets to suit themselves. We go to Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, we play on the, the dry wickets. So they're not necessarily good for cricket. They're good for the home side. So why not get neutral curators in to roll out good cricket wickets so we see good cricket around, played around the world by all nations rather than just nations playing well in their own conditions? And on top of that, Maisie, would you be prepared to be CEO of the Neutral Curators Association? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know a lot about roots. Um, <laughs> I look. I, I, I hear what Merv's saying, and I agree with him that I think it's one of cricket's problems is that let's let's call it for want of a better expression, doctoring wickets. I, I don't think that's good for the good for the game. Like People want to go to a game and see a real contest, not you know um, a, a match that is just suited to the home team and the home team wins. Like that, that is, That's not good for cricket. But I think it's pretty hard to implant a neutral curator into a, a place just like neutral umpires because the neutral umpires are in and out when, you know, in a, you know, for, for one week. Yeah. Um, but a, a curator has to curate you know, the, the definition of the ground, uh, the name, curate, and they've got to do that over a period of time. So it'll be sort of like, oh, Lisbeth, you're going to go to the, you know, hand over Adelaide Oval. I know he's done that already, but, yeah, and you're at Lords. And the Lords guy, you're at Adelaide Oval. Um, there's a couple of things on that. They won't know how grass reacts to the different conditions within the United Kingdom. Oh, it's got a uh, lot of flaws in it, but I was just hoping to get yeah, you know, you're, you're a lateral thinker. I mean, the, the UAE have an American, uh, an Australian curator. Um, you know, and he does quite a good job. I mean, to go even further there, should we should we have neutral players? Don't be stupid, so, Damien. You're just, so even you're just taking the piss out of me now. And you, you're playing just the under ridiculous. In you're playing against India and India, and you can well, bring in Australia. You can bring in two Pakistan well, players. Well, we play see that well. in the IPL, and we see that in the big bash. We don't need it at an international level. Okay, yeah. well, I want to finish on a serious note. Can you confirm on the 1988 Pakistan tour that Java Biendad come out wearing a New York Yankees cap and scored a double tum? No, it wasn't a New York Yankees cap. That's incorrect. 
this this test, it was 1984. No, no, you're right, 1988. Whatever, it was my first <laughs> test. It was my first test. And, you know, you're really proud to walk out in your first test and you, know, you look at the scoreboard, you have your names up there. Yeah, I was, my name, you know, I had Porter. I don't know who else was playing the silly game, Healy. And then it got down to T-I-M-A-Y. That was me, Tim A. I was Tim A for the whole five <laughs> days of my first year. And, and I um, was greeted. Uh, I think I got someone out, which was good. Good start to your career, Tim. And in came Javid, me and Dad. And it wasn't a Yankees cap. He had a I love New York white <laughs> cap. And batting with that cap, he made 200. Was there any close LBW shouts for you? Yeah, around about 15. Yeah. <laughs> and just like yeah. just spinning too much or outside the line? Yeah. He, he, the, the, the guy, I can't remember the guy's name, the umpire, but it, I'd say, you know, we'd all say, what's wrong with that? And he would just, and just wander, right, wander away. So we never knew, but. Um, yeah, he can bat that guy. And, and really with that, player. with that, we've had Johnny Gorey off Twitter. Uh, ultimately, who's the best batsman that you bowled to in your career? And Blem, probably you've been asked a few times on biology, but we could back it up with you answering that one too. But Maisie, who's the best player, your best batsman you bowled to? Hell, um, there were so many of them. There were. Um, everyone seemed insurmountable to me, but. I think Martin Crow. Um, he he was great against pace. He was great against spin. Uh, he was elegant. Um, or, or, and he'd be the one guy. You know, I know Bob the Viv and uh, Brian Lara and those sorts of guys, and they're wonderful, wonderful players. But you always felt you had a chance against those guys. Um, Oh, I never knew where to bowl to Martin. Never. Oh, I had no idea. He could make the ball any length he wanted. He could go back to it. He could go forward to it. He could hit you for six over cover. Just a beautiful, you know, elevated cover drive. He, he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I thought. Slim? Just quick, what what sort of length did you bowl to Martin Cromer? Short. Sure. Um, <laughs> Bozzy Macron backed you up there, Maisie. He, he just said reverse swing. It didn't bother Martin Crow. Uh, mine's hard to split, I, I, and it's boring, is Lara and Tendulka. They were just clearly better. And and it's amazing how many games we played in where we got all the other really good players. Well, uh, Tendulka had more support around him, Azradin and Laxman and Drav and Ganguly. But they're methodical. I, I just remember the first ball I bowled to Lara. At home at Trinidad, 95 tour. It's a game I got injured and went home. And it was like the Collis. I got Simo out and it was just jagging a little bit. And and it was, you know, in Trinidad, Maisie, when he walked out, it was just massive, wasn't it? It was like the bounce of the AFL grand final. And he just, it was like I was in a movie as he walked past. And first ball, it had come out just about perfect. It was just a fraction short. So it sort of shaped in. Then it hit the seam and seemed away. So most lefties would have been worried about uh, continuing to swing in, you know, and they would have tried to cover that and probably outside edge. And and Lara sees it and, and he just leaves it. It didn't phase him. And I just went, 
wow, that's the most confident leave I've <laughs> ever had. I, I'm no chance there. I, I just thought, yeah, he, he and and he he scored big. You know, he got two hundreds, three hundreds, obviously four hundred. Uh, what about you, Swerve? Early in my career, no surprises. Viv Richards and Sasha Sanduga. Uh, sorry, Sonia Gavaska. I get those two mixed up. Yeah. Sonia Gavaska. Uh, and for two different reasons. Um, Sonia Gavaska was death by a thousand cuts. And he was so precise. The margin of error to bowl to him was just so slight. Now, you'd bowl on off stump, you'd tuck you the leg side to one. If you bowl just outside off stump, you just had the ability to let it go. And, and Viv was just brutal. And yeah. You knew that you needed to be on your game, um, otherwise he was going to take you to task. And, and later on in my career, no surprises with Sanduka and Lara, um, yep. but a lot of people get surprised by Michael Atherton. Um, yep. in, in a time where England from 89 um, through to 93, where I finished, where England weren't great against Australia, Michael Atherton um, was outstanding. He's a, he's a very good player, and despite his um, the look that he has, like he was, he was a very tough competitor. With Athers too, I, I love when he talks about facing you. You said when you were sledging him, he couldn't understand anything you say, but you knew when your sledge had finished because you used the same word every time, and it was yeah. ass wipe. Yeah, it was once like, he heard like, ass wipe, he knew he could look up. Yeah, it was like <laughs> it's like speaking to a Scotsman when he when he says Jimmy, you know, it's your time to score, and virtually. <laughs> You got to you got to have a full stop so people understand when you're finished. Hey, last one, just quickly, view. I looked at your player profiles from in your heyday. Your cricketing goal, Merv, was for the entire cricket season to get washed out. Explain. Yep. Well, I like rain. Um, people, all, all my mates couldn't get couldn't understand why I get so excited when you see a weather forecast and it was rain. So Thursday night, Friday. You'd be listening to the weather stations, hoping for rain playing club cricket. And then the Thursday night, going to the training at the MCG before a shield match, you'd just be looking at the skies. So you go to go to South Australia, be talking to the curator, any chance of rain? And I'd be, what? what? It's, it's got to rain. Surely it's got to rain. Four days. Four days? Good rain. So that would have been perfect season. Ideal season for me, Glenn. Rain every from day, Every day. Till the end of March, not a ball bowl. Oh, and just to add to that, I can recall walking, I think it was to Edgbaston, into the ground on the morning of the day's play next to Merv, and some Englishman walked past Merv and said, you don't look happy, Mr. Hughes. And Merv said, it's not raining, and then just walked <laughs> on. So he's not kidding about that. Uh, your cricketing goal, Maisie, was in the field besides bowling. I did not want to touch the ball. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was pretty accurate. Uh, huh? Well, uh, yeah, like, yes, it was. Was, uh, was there another I, incident at Birmingham, Maisie? Beg your pardon? Edge Baston in the county game, I think 89. Was there another, another incident there where you got hit by a cricket ball? Nah, some guy me um, <laughs> threw an apple at me and it exploded all over my face. And I remember the press interview, oh, I'm going to muck this up, but the press interview, I did a, I took some wickets that day, so I had to meet, you know, I got in front of the press at the end of the day. 
And the guy said, oh, you also got hit by a foreign object. And I said, yeah, I got hit in the melon by an apple. And then the following day, everyone reported that I got hit in the Adam's apple <laughs> with a lemon. <laughs> anyway, they, they stuffed that up. They stuffed that up. When I was building, the closer the ball got to me, the smaller it became. And it, I just had trouble. And potentially, in your case, lethal. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. <laughs> hey, boys, thanks a lot. For, hey, Merv, firstly, thanks for co-hosting and commiseration for the Bulldogs. But for, for Maisie, um, mate, absolutely brilliant. Had a great career, proud of. But the legacy, as Merv kept going, the creation of the ACA and its, its strength and the way it's benefited that male and female cricketers has been outstanding and followed. So, Maisie. Thanks for the chat, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Flamo. Loved it. Merv, love you. You know that. Yeah, mate. You are a star. Bueller. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Bueller.